Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm glad you could be with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. In this episode today, we're talking about discipling our kids, and I'm joined by author Amy Gannett. Amy is the founder of Tiny Theologians, and in this conversation, we not only talk about discipling our kids and why things like theology matter so much, but we also talk about how the places where we may be uncertain or even the places where we might have doubt can actually be a benefit to us in discipling our kids. Something exciting is in the works, and we are adding a new segment to the Christian Single Moms podcast in which we'd like to feature you. On our website, you can record a question that you'd like to have answered or share something that God has been teaching you in this season. Submissions can be anonymous and may be played right here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. For more details, check out the link down in the show notes. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present, And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. I don't know if you are like this, but when I hear the word discipleship, it seems like something really overwhelming. It seems like something I need to get a whole like curriculum for and need to organize time for. But what I appreciate about Amy's approach in this is how we can create some simple routines that can actually lead to a really organic experience with discipling our kids. Here's my conversation with Amy Gannett. Amy, I'm excited to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, Amy, I am in in great need of your expertise. And I know a lot of listeners can probably relate. Discipling our kids can be something that we may feel that we really want to do and that we need to do. But having the right words and the right tools can sometimes be tricky for us. And there's a lot of big concepts around this, things like doctrine and theology that we may not fully grasp ourselves. And so having the ability to take our kids through it can be a challenge. As we get going today, would you start us off by helping us to understand exactly what is theology and why is it so important for the believer? Yeah, I think a lot of people hear the word theology and their mind sort of files it away under seminary professors and maybe pastors. You know, when we think about a theologian, we kind of picture an older man, you know, hunched over library books. At least that's what image used to come to my mind. But theology really comes from the Greek word theos, which is just the most general word for God in the Greek language. And then ology, as most of us know, is the suffix that's added to any word to mean the study of. So biology is the study of life and theology is the study of God. And 
it really isn't just study, but it's everything that we know and believe about who God is. And so if you think about it that way, if it's everything that we know and believe about who God is, and understanding theology, understanding who God is, and being able to articulate what we believe about God, especially to our kids, becomes so much more important. And it also insists then that all of us are theologians. So there's mm-hmm. nobody who doesn't have a God that doesn't have a belief system in place about God, including kids. Kids mm-hmm. believe something about God, or they think they know something mm-hmm. about God. Um, when you, if you want to test this, I mean, ask any given six-year-old, what is God like? And they have an answer for you. It may not mm-hmm. be right. It may not be clear. It may not be well-developed, but they have some sort of theology in mind. And so that's one of the reasons it's so important that we embrace our role as theologians, because if theology is just the study of God, well, it's for all of us, all of us who profess to be Christians, um, to grow in our theological understanding and to raise kids who know and love the God of the Bible. Mm. And I think you just said something so great there, to grow in our understanding, because God is completely unknowable from the sense of our limited human abilities. We can never know or understand all there is to know about him. And so us walking through this with our kids is something that we might be a little further down the road and have the ability to understand the concepts that may be hard for them to grasp, but we will never be quote unquote, the expert, (laughs) you know, on God because there, he's just continuing to reveal himself, but also we just can never fully grasp all of who he is. Well, and I, I think it's really important that we kind of keep one hand closed on what we can know and one hand open on what we can't know. So when we think about God's self-revelation, well, let me back up actually. When we think about who God is, of course, an infinite God, an infinite being who has existed before there was time, before there were human minds to comprehend him. When we've got our limited human understanding, of course, we can't know everything that there is to know about God. So that's the open hand. We kind of go, Lord, I can't know you in your fullness, Mm -hmm. especially not this side of the new heavens and new earth. And yet God in his word has given us what he calls his self-revelation. That's what the Bible is. It is God's self-explanation of who he is um, and how he wants us to know him. And he has given everything in his word. He tells us he has given us everything that we need to know or everything that we need in order to sufficiently know him in this life. And so we can sort of close our hand over that and get a firm grip on who God has revealed himself to be. So we want the open-handedness of saying, God, you are so far beyond me. I will never fully comprehend your divinity or your nature. That leads us to humility. But this closed mm-hmm. hand of God's self-revelation gives us confidence mm-hmm. because we want to study with a purpose. We're not studying to say, well, I, you know, I could chip away at this my whole life and I never get any closer because it goes on forever. Well, God actually has given us everything we need to have, everything we need in order to have sufficient knowledge of him. Mm -hmm. And so we have humility and we have confidence as we keep an open hand of um, knowing that we'll never know the end of God's nature. But we also have a closed hand of saying, 
God has said specific things that are true about him and we can hold on to those and they give us a good anchor in this life as we seek to grow in our theology. Yes. And I think that that is something that sometimes the bigness of God makes it difficult to approach, but there are these absolutes. There are things about his nature and his character that we can read in the word that declare to us exactly who he is so that we have the ability, not just in studying the Bible, but in observing things in our real life experiences that can show us more and more how those attributes to us can become truer and truer and more real and tangible that we have the ability to point those things out just even in our daily lives to our kids. But it is that study of the word to know this is exactly who God says he is. And if I don't see that in my life right now, then I want to be curious in engaging that. And even that might mean I have some doubt that my doubt actually can bring me into a space of more certainty about who God is in these characteristics rather than less. Yeah, I think it's I think curiosity is the best tool that we take with us when we study the scriptures because it's that curiosity that's going to take us that next step. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. cause us to dig deeper on a passage or on something that we don't understand. And I, I think when I have gone through seasons of doubt in my own life, and I would say to the person who's wrestling with doubt, one of the biggest encouragements that I've had as I've grown in my understanding of church history is that we just don't have new questions. You know, the questions mm-hmm. that we're asking about God and his word about theology have been asked before. And the reason they're still being asked is because there's an answer and we may not be able to articulate the answer to every question that we might ask, especially in seasons of doubt, but we can have confidence that God's word is, you know, worth its salt. Mm -hmm. God is going to stand up under our questioning. And that is so confident building as we Mm -hmm. study God's word, as we ask questions, as we grow as theologians, you know, as Mm -hmm. we, I, I think a lot of women in particular, we can be shy about, digging into theology or into doctrine or growing in our Bible study because we're worried that our faith is going to fracture when Mm -hmm. put under sort of pressure or scrutiny. I just want to tell you, I'm here as a testimony that it does not. You know, you might have more questions. It might breed this sort of plethora of new questions. Um, Sort of like when you dig beneath the surface level in a passage, there are verses that I've heard quoted a certain way my whole life. And then I read them in context. I think, I didn't know that it was in this context. And so that question leads to another question, leads to another question. As I get to the original intent of the author who wrote that, you know, it might breed more questions, but that's for our good. Mm -hmm. That's how we become students of scripture. I love that you said that because I think I've had, I've had seasons like that where I'm afraid to dig and I'm afraid to ask questions because I'm afraid my faith will be ruined that suddenly I have asked the question that no one else in all of mankind has asked. And now I have unraveled the thing for myself when in truth that asking, it it may not mean that I have more specific certainty about the answer to that, but God will lead me down the path of what he does want me to know. So sometimes our question may actually reveal something else about God, but that may truly be actually the spirit leading us towards what it is we actually need underneath why we are asking that specific question. And over my life, there are some things that I don't have answers to, but because of the revelation of God's character in that and God's closeness, I've been able to say, you know what? I don't have the answer for this, but it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change 
who he is to me in my life and who he has been. So I'm okay with putting this on the shelf of things that I probably won't know in this life, but it's probably going to be there in the background as I'm continuing to read the word and study and say, all right, well, you know, over time, you will build my understanding in this area, but it's, it may not happen today. That's right. Yeah. And it's important for us to remember too, as um, humans that are broken, we are subject to the fall. You know, we have our own brokenness tucked in our bones. It's been with us, you know, since birth, we know our own brokenness. And so it's important as Christians that we remember that our faith is not in our understanding. Our faith Mm -hmm. is not in our Bible study skills, because that would be a flimsy faith. Mm -hmm. But our faith is in the faithful one. And so our the the durability of our faith depends not on whether or not we are able to remain faithful to muster the faith or the trust in God. The durability of our faith is tested and proven in the one who our faith is placed in. Mm -hmm. So the durability doesn't rest on you, sister. It doesn't rest on me. It rests on God and he has kept every promise. Um, And so I like the analogy. I've heard many pastors use it, but I originally read it um, by Dane Ortland of a child wading into the ocean, you know, they may initially think as they, you know, take those first couple of cold steps that they're holding on to their parents' hand, you know, that they're, they're holding on, you know, and, but the tide will come or they'll start feeling the hints of a rip current. And suddenly they realize that their stability doesn't have anything to do with their grip on their parent, but their parents grip on them. Mm -hmm. And that's our spiritual reality. It's not about whether or not we have doubt. It's not about whether or not we can find the answers to our questions, but our grip um, is going to be faulty, but his grip on us, man, that is going to last into eternity. He's not going to let us go. And so the durability of our faith actually doesn't have anything to do with what we know, but it has everything to do with the one in whom we have placed our faith. And that is good news for us. That was an absolute lifesaver for me in digging through faith and doubt and the intersection there of understanding that the level of faith that I have is something that the Holy Spirit is it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to continue to grow into. There's a song right now out by Chris Renzema and Ellie Holcomb. And there's a lyric in there that says, my faith will surely falter, but that doesn't change what you've done. And I'm like, wow. So faith actually being a little bit of this movable thing to some extent is just the process of the humanness butting up against the divinity of the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. what he's continuing to produce in that work. But as I recognize, like it is normal and it is okay in this growing process to have a faith that seems solid. And then we're asking some questions about and seems solid. And then we're asking some questions about that. Once that was normalized for me, I thought, okay, then it doesn't mean I'm any less of a Christian because I have these hard questions or because I'm not really sure if I can hang on to this, but that if I'm continuing to ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen me in this, be in the word, continue to just press into him in that time where you might otherwise feel like, well, maybe, maybe he's letting go of me, or maybe I'm letting go of him, or, you know, maybe he's going to be displeased with me that in continuing to press into that, the Holy Spirit fortifies then what it is that we need, but that this is just as much of a, a testing process as, as any other part of our 
character and our spiritual journey can be. Mm-hmm. And that's how it grows, yeah. right? It's yeah. a, a faith that's untested is sort of like a weak muscle. And we think, well, I don't want to go to the gym because I might find out how weak it really is. Well, the only way we're actually going to get stronger or know how strong we are is by, you know, exercising that muscle. So our faith actually strengthens as it is, you know, you were using the language of being weak as it's as we notice, oh, my faith is weak in this area and it bumps up against the divinity of God. He's going to hold on to us. Every mm-hmm. time we see him hold on to us, yeah. our faith in him is strengthened. And um, like you said, we can look back on our lives and say, God has been faithful in so many circumstances. The reason we can look towards an unknown future with such confidence is because we can look back and say, I've been in situations where I had an unknown future, but God was good to me and he was faithful. He saw me through that season of uncertainty or that season of change or transition or of grief, you know, whatever it was, we can say that with confidence because we've done it before, you know, it's faith that breeds faith that breeds faith as we keep our eyes on God. So I think you're right on with how we strengthen our faith by actually experiencing its weakness at times and letting the Lord strengthen us. Yeah. I like that analogy too, though, of the Lord holding onto us, because I think there are times where we may fear that he's going to let go or that there's going to come some point where I have to stand on my own to be able to do this without him. And sometimes we may even look at the devastating things that have happened in the past and wonder, was that a time that God wasn't there or he let go or, you know, that, that I wasn't sure if I could rely on him. And that is a practice though, that remembering is a practice that we see even throughout the Bible, where though we may have had those difficult times, we can look back into those experiences and see where the goodness of God was. And this is something that the Lord just keeps even revealing about my divorce and the circumstances of my life right now, that there are some things that are hard about it, but there are some things that if I really sit back and stop looking at the hard and just start staring at, but God, where, where are you in this? Or where were you in this? That the goodness comes back to mind. And they are those things that we can say, okay, okay, you are faithful. You have been faithful, but this thing is hard, but you never left. You never let go of me. You were the only you are the only reason I even actually made it through those circumstances. And so once we have the ability though, to recognize that the anxiety that our doubt might draw up in us is something that is actually meant to help us reconnect with where we did see God in the past, that we can then look towards the future and the things that are uncertain and say, okay, he was there before he is a changeless God. So that means that my, his faithfulness is not going to run out. It's there for me in the future. So, okay. We'll count on that. Let's go. (laughs) I wish it was that easy, but (laughs) I have a question for you though, about discipling and how this then though, what we're talking about is obviously much deeper than Bible stories and things like that, that often our kids will get, you know, from Sunday school or VBS and things like that. So as we're talking about theology though, how is the study of God, how is giving our kids a theological basis different or ancillary to what they would receive through church programming and things like that? Yeah. Well, our, hopefully the Lord is using all of these different outlets, all of these influences in their lives to build out their theology. But I think we have to remember that they're getting input from a lot of different sources And the Lord has entrusted us as parents to be the primary disciple makers. You know, the home is the center of discipleship. Um, And I, 
you know, I feel confident enough to say that's not really up for debate. Like, I think we all know kids are most formed by the kind of home that they are in. Mm -hmm. Even if they go to school, you know, the majority of their waking hours, even if they're, you know, at daycare or with a caregiver, the home is the central seat of discipleship in a child's life. And God intends for us to take up the mantle and to receive the call and to respond to it with intentionality and um, purpose to disciple our children. And so we want to build out for kids a big view of our great big God. And that can happen in so many ways. We want to teach them. We want to encourage them. We want to build them up. We want to model for them. It can happen in so many different ways. But the first step is realizing that as parents, we are the disciple makers. Um, That doesn't mean that other people, God's not going to use other people. Um, But he has given us this really central role in kids' lives. And to steward that well just means that we walk in humility. We walk with the Lord, humbly seeking, asking God, Lord, how do you want me to disciple my child in this season of life? Mm -hmm. And that can look lots of different ways. It doesn't have one approach, but taking that before the Lord is the first step. Yeah. And I think that this is one area where if we are really tending to this in our own lives, then passing it on to our kids becomes almost second nature that when we are spending time with God and asking, you know, being a part of community and asking questions and exploring and those types of things that I know for myself, at least I gain such clarity that then I'm like, I want my kids to to know this. Like I am almost 40 and I wish I didn't wait 40 years to figure this out, you know? So I'm going to give them this little nugget. Now they may not even be able to fully grab it, but I want just a constant dialogue in the household. And I think In the past, I've thought of discipleship as something that has to be really structured. This is just as much of a journey of exploration that we are undertaking. And if we're doing that for ourselves and for our relationship with the Lord, then that just becomes something that we're able to pour out onto our kids. Yeah, that's good. I think I think that um, for depending on how the Lord has wired us personally, Mm -hmm. um, I am reminded to do things when I have a schedule. You know, the habit in our household. And there's a reason the dishwasher gets unloaded every morning. And it's because every night it is our habit to run the dishwasher. And every morning as we go to put our coffee mugs in the sink, we have to unload the dishwasher. It's just a habit of our household. Mm -hmm. And so I think building those habits of discipleship into your schedule, man, they will just serve you so well. They don't have to be complicated. They can be really simple. But if you build a habit into your routine, It's a reminder. It's a built-in reminder that you, it's time to bring intentional conversation about who God is into our day. And by soaking in God's word ourselves, I need a habit. I need a schedule to get time in God's words that I'm attentive to what he is doing, to what his word is teaching me, what his, how his spirit is leading all those things. We build those into our day. It's going to be just the beginning. What are some sample ideas when it comes to some of those habits and rhythms? Yeah. So for us, we have toddlers. We have, I have a toddler and a baby here at home. And so we are doing morning basket. Um, I have a resource that's all about how we do morning basket and what it looks like. So if people want, they can look into that more, but we have basically 15 to 20 minutes every morning. Sometimes it's as short as 10. We have a basket that once everybody's dressed for the day, that's what we pull down. We sit on a blanket in the living room 
and we read through um, one page of a Bible, a children's Bible that we're going through. We use some of the Tiny Theologians flashcards to do not only our um, build our vision of who God is out through his attributes, but also my daughter's learning her ABCs that way. So we sing some songs, we pray together. It can be anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. And it really starts our day off on the right note. And it starts our day with me having in mind what my primary role is. My mm-hmm. primary role is to teach these children who God is and to model that in front of them. So mm-hmm. um, I think that a morning basket with little ones is super helpful. But when you have older kids, you know, I'm not a parent of older kids, so I hesitate to speak to what the schedules could be. But even if you just have a, you know, a lot of parents have when they do carpool pickup from school, they'll do highs and lows or something like that. Well, pick a different question. What are you learning about God? What's a question you have about who God is? Mm. Pick a question that would start a conversation on the way to school. Um, Just pick a time block in your day where you know you're with your kids, where you can count on it every day or every week, Monday through Friday, or every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Pick a, a schedule marker that's already in your calendar and turn it into a discipleship opportunity And then you'll be amazed. Once you start doing that, you're going to see discipleship opportunities everywhere. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that if you've got at least one rhythm, then the opportunities become somewhat organic after that. I do have, I have a teenager and a middle schooler. So I have kids that are slightly older and I found not only car time to be very helpful, but also dinner time. And I don't have my kids every night for dinner, but the nights that I do have them, we just have our regular dinner, you know, what happened today? Give me the lowdown, all of that kind of stuff. After dinner, when they're having, you know, some kind of little dessert or something like that is when generally we'll take out the Bible and we'll read a chapter usually. And what we decide to read is usually something that's born out of my quiet time that happens in the mornings. I wake up extra early before everybody gets up. But then they're in the word. They're, we're learning how to ask questions as we go. Like, why did this person do this? And what is this show about God? And, and just not just reading it, but just as we go along the way, asking these questions about what, what, like, what was going on that they would choose to go this way or culturally, you know, what was it like at the time? And sometimes even they'll ask questions that I'm like, I don't actually know. So I'll like Google a commentary or something and we'll come back to it and be like, oh, this is why this, you know, made sense for the time, you know, why we would look at it kind of with a question mark and, and think that that was maybe a strange way to handle something or just doesn't make sense to us, you know, but it is that process of side-by-side learning, but it's something that we can build into our regular schedule because it's just around our dinner times together. And other times though, it can be, you know, even podcasts in the car. There's some that are more middle school oriented, you know, for example, like for my son and things like that, where it's just building in some continued um, entertain, like entertaining type of, of education <laughs> that I can't provide. Uh, but it just gives a little more purpose to those car rides too. And so it doesn't have to be something that we're like sitting around and, you know, having like a full on, like full scale Bible study. It can be these little digestible chunks. Um, but I do think that when you're in the habit then of doing those things, then we also have the ability to carve out time, you know, to just, you know, when, when even like troublesome things hit, you know, we have the ability to go back and say, you know, this actually sounds similar to this other thing that we read in the Bible, you know, and, and 
how do you think that this person felt going through this ordeal? And what did God reveal about himself in that and parallel what they're going through to what they've already studied? And that's something that God keeps showing me in my own private time. It's like, yes, I may have read this story in the span of my life like 15 times, but the word being alive and active, it's going to draw something new up in you as you just continue to engage because you're in a different level of maturity and God is ready to reveal something different to you as you're just continuing to be guided by his word through your life. Yeah, that's so good. That's really good encouragement for parents that um, aren't sure where to start. Yeah, I think that's really good. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. Now, Amy, your uh, newest series of books focuses on three specific aspects of God's nature. So as we were talking about before, a lot of what we want to teach our kids can be known through the word and the characteristics that God tells us about himself. Now, this series specifically is for younger ones, but it focuses on God being all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. And I think this is applicable for kids of all ages. Could you tell us why specifically you chose to hone in on these three areas? Yeah, well, my background is partially in kids' ministry. So I graduated from seminary, and while I was in seminary, I was helping oversee a kids' ministry. And one of the things that I noticed is that there are a lot of resources that tell kids to be a particular way or possess a certain attribute because God has that attribute. And this is a great way to talk to our kids. We are patient because God is patient with us. Um, We are forgiving because God forgives us. That is a great way to talk to kids about character that God calls us to possess. Instead of saying, you know, you need to be patient because that's what pleases God. Though it does please God, we can only be patient because God has been pleased with us or has been patient with us. That is a great way to talk to kids about that. But I also wanted to cast this other side of God's nature in front of kids, which is that even though there are attributes that we can possess, that he also possesses, there are attributes that God possesses that belong to no one other than God. Mm. You know, that's where God is totally beyond us. We have no idea what it's like to be all powerful. We have no idea what it's like to be all knowing or to be present in every place at every time. But don't you think that's the kind of thing that kids find so fun and so fascinating to wonder about God's nature and what it would be like to be limitless and what it means for us that he is limitless and we are limited. So I wanted to sort of take the conversation with kids beyond how we are supposed to reflect God's character and just cast this big vision for a great big God before them to remind us and to teach them that there are ways that God operates that belong to him alone. There really is truly no one like our God. And so that's what these three books aim to do is to teach God or to teach kids about the God who is way beyond them and yet has made himself noble to them in his word. I think these three especially are so critical when we've been through really difficult things. Sometimes it's hard to trust God 
And very often we may assign our human experiences to God. And I can see this from my own life that whatever deficiencies we may have had in the adults around us or the parents around us and that type of thing, they can mar the way that we understand God as a father or God in all of these attributes and recognizing that there are things beyond what we can display in our own humanity then opens us up to the hope of understanding that there is an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God who is holding all of these circumstances and is good in orchestrating things for the good of those who love him. And it's it's something that, interestingly enough, reading these they're preschooler age books and I have a preschooler, but reading these books with her has reignited that in me to remember, yes, he is kind and yes, he is patient. And yes, he is good. And we can see those in the people around us, but there are just things that should draw, that can draw us to, to awe and things that can draw us into that childlike space for mm-hmm. ourselves. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful things about going through a healing journey is the ability to relearn who God is as a father and to maybe for the first time learn who we are as a child in the arms of a father who can do things for us, in us, through us that we cannot otherwise do or conceive of. Yeah. And I think it reminds us too that, you know, society and the way our culture is in the West is always pushing us to buck against our limits, to be invincible, to be limitless as much as we can. But these three attributes in particular remind us that we cannot be. You know, I imagine in particular that a single mom, more than most of us maybe even desires to be in more one, more than one place at one time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We all have that desire, you know, to be in a meeting and to be on the beach, um, or to be dropping off for baseball while picking up for ballet at the same time. Right, you know, right. there's just sometimes that we feel so torn. But to remember that God has given us this, given us these human limits, and they are for our good, and they're meant to lift our chins upward, so that mm-hmm. we see the one who is alone, limitless. I think these three attributes are actually really essential for us as adults to capture our hearts and remind us of our God-given limitations that Mm -hmm. he delights in. So he doesn't expect us to be present in more than one place at one time. He gave us boundaries to our Mm -hmm. community. He doesn't expect us to know all things. So even the mom that's listening and thinking, how will will I ever answer all my kids' questions about God? He does not expect you to know everything. Mm -hmm. He alone is all-knowing. He doesn't expect you to do it all and be it all. He alone is all-powerful. Knowing who God is in terms of these three attributes actually helps us know ourselves better and have a more Christ-like view uh, of our what we expect of our own selves um, and to respect the limits that he's given us and to cherish them and even let them draw us into worship. Share more about that as far as knowing these attributes about God and how they help us to understand ourselves more rightly. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think it's knowing that God alone possesses these attributes actually encourages us to look at how he is distinct from all of creation. So for the person who is saying, I want to start a side business while working my job, while caring for my children, 
you know, all of these things may be possible, but they may not be possible. And even if you try all to to manage all three of them, you're always going to find yourself disappointed in your own productivity in any given day or Mm -hmm. in how far your human power takes you. Um, As humans, we are not able to go without sleep. We're not able to go without food. We're not able to go without friendship. We're not able to go without mental breaks, Um, especially if we want to be healthy people. That's not to mention just staying alive, but being healthy individuals, right? But God alone can keep the world spinning. God alone has no limit to his power. And so that's why we lay our heads to rest at night, because when we sleep, God is still at work. You know, the to-do list, the endless litany of things that we could be investing our time in is going to go on, but it doesn't ultimately rest on our shoulders because we are not ultimately all powerful. And God Mm -hmm. knows that. And so we can rest knowing that he does not. Um, I think knowing that God is all knowing encourages us to be seekers of knowledge, to be learners and to be people who read broadly and seek to know God better while also humbly recognizing that we are not experts and maintaining a learner posture our entire lives of discipleship. Knowing that God is present all places gives us confidence as we move through, through this world, but also reminds us that we are not like God, who can be in multiple places at multiple times. And so, you know what we can do? We can put down our phones because social media wants to lie to us and tell us that we can be living this woman's life and living that entrepreneur's dream. And we can live vicariously through all of these people on our screens. But the truth is, is we can't. God has given us one place to be at one time. And so we can put down our phones and be present to where we are because God doesn't expect us to be more than one place at one time. Mm -hmm. Only he can do that. So I think knowing who God is actually gives us proper perspective on how he's created us to, how he's created us as beings and therefore how he's created us to live our lives. I 100% resonate with this because becoming a single mom revealed to me, number one, just how much limitation that one person has, but then also those places in my life where I was trying to blow past those limitations to strive and do so much in my own strength that I was detaching from God. And then how much anxiety that that brought to me because I was feeling like the weight of the world rested on my shoulders. And I carried that into this single mom season. And in the midst though of trying to heal and work through anxiety, work through not only where I am today, but healing things that led up to where I am today. That limitation brought me to my knees, but to the point that God said, my daughter, I love you. This is your, it doesn't all depend on you rest, you know, and really learning then what we would do if we rested in our belovedness, in who he says we are because of who he is. And then no longer is that need to strive there because for me, that striving was, well, then God will be pleased with me. God will be pleased with me. But learning more about that limitation and experiencing the weight of that limitation brought me to the place of I'm already pleased, Yeah, you know? And so when we have When we're out, when we run to the end of that limitation, though, is where we sometimes are brought to our knees, but ultimately it can be a place where God reveals just how much he is in control and how much he is holding that we are trying to take out of his hands that he 
never ordained for us. And, you know, sometimes we think that like, oh, but I'm being diligent for God. I'm doing, you know, all the things that he's made me to do, but he didn't make us to do above and beyond just who he made us to be in enjoying a relationship with him. Yeah, And sometimes, you know, we, and you rightly mentioned in our culture, limitation and rest and, you know, pause and saying no, and all those things is not celebrated, but those are not the rhythms of the relationship that God really wants to have with us. Yeah, that's good. And that's good encouragement for all parents everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Amy, when it comes to discipling our kids and they're really tough questions, they may be asking questions that are beyond what we have the ability to answer. Sometimes they might even be related to some difficult things that they're going through. What encouragement would you give to a mom who's in that situation who is having to answer a question or address a question, but maybe doesn't really even know where to start? Yeah, I think the best thing that we can do is to model for our kids the habit of going to God's word and to prayer when we don't know the answer to a question. If it's a doctrinal question where, you know, there is a sort of clear cut answer, then great. Um, We can give those answers, but give it from God's word, still show them, model for them the habit of going to God's word. When we don't know the answer, that's fine. We model for them going to God's word to find the answer and praying that the Lord would teach us and that the Lord would show us. Um, I think better than giving any kid any answer is teaching them who has this, who is the source of our answers and who we can take our questions to. So sort of like that, you know, give a man a fish or teach a man to fish. Mm-hmm. What we're doing as we model going to God's word for our kids is we're teaching them to fish. We're teaching them what to do when they have a question. We don't want to become for our kids their source of the end stop to where they get all their Mm -hmm. answers Mm -hmm. because that's not going to serve them in adulthood. And as much as we don't want to admit it, we're not always going to be in our kids' lives. You know, there'll be a day where they, you know, Lord willing outlive us. And so if we've always been the end point, well, then we actually haven't weaned them off of our answers and helped them learn to rely on God and his word for their answers. And so I think when kids come with a question that we don't know the answer to, we say, you know, I don't know. Um, modeling for them that's okay not to know. It's okay to have these questions. They don't scare us um, mm-hmm. when kids have questions because we have questions ourselves, but we know the one who has the answers. We know that God's word holds up under questioning. And so we can go to God with our questions. We can go to God in our uncertainty, with our hurt, in our struggle. And we can talk to him in prayer and we can read his word and find answers. And even if not answers, we can find reassurance of his love for us and his Mm -hmm. commitment to make itself known to us in his word. I think by modeling that we're teaching them to fish. We're teaching them that when they're in college and they wake up one morning and they think, why should I go to church this Sunday morning? There is nothing compelling me to go to church. Why should I? Instead of calling you, because they know what answer they're going to get from you. Instead of calling you, they can go to God's word. What is the role of the church? What does my participation in the church mean? You've modeled for them finding answers in God's word. And I think that is the higher calling as disciple makers. In that scenario that you just mentioned, for example, what if we aren't sure in the word, even ourselves, where we could point our kids, what kind of resources can help bolster that? I think having, um, as a parent, having an arsenal of a couple doctrinal resources that are accessible. My book, Fix Your Eyes, was written exactly for this. So this is not just 
um, like a plug for my book, but I wrote a book called Fix Your Eyes, How Theology Leads Us to Worship, specifically because I wanted to make theology accessible. So it breaks down chapter by chapter different doctrinal topics in an approachable way that us moms can wrap our minds around and mm-hmm. And it shows us how it applies to our own lives. So having a couple of resources that keep us growing, that keep us um, sort of seeking God in his word. But even if we, if our kids um, come to us with questions that maybe God's word doesn't speak directly to. Um, so for example, if God, if a kid comes to us and asks, you know, can I go to this already movie? Maybe we have a rule in our home about that. Um, but they say, why? You know, why mm-hmm. you, you're not going to be able to find a chapter and verse for already movies, right. but scripture does teach the way of wisdom. And so knowing God's word well enough to know those themes that are taught consistently throughout God's word, like the way of wisdom in Proverbs, um, so that we can go to our child and say, you know, the way of wisdom leads to life, but the way of the fool leads to death. And, you know, the book of Proverbs says, I'm not going to set unwholesome things before my eyes because of wisdom, because wisdom says I will set um, the virtues of the Lord before me. And so why would we set something unwholesome before our eyes? We want to walk in wisdom. So knowing God's word enough to know the principles that apply to our kids' questions and not just a chapter and verse to answer their questions. I think also remembering that kids are asking questions out of out of a context. They, they come with a story. They're asking it for a reason and listening for that reason. A lot of times kids will ask maybe a doctrinal question, but they're actually wrestling with some personal hurt. Um, They might be asking about why God lets bad things happen to good people, which is a really important theological question. But maybe they're asking because something happened and they felt innocent and they were hurt, even though they felt like they didn't do anything wrong. So listening for those things and being the kind of parents that our kids want to come to in their hurt, I think sets the foundation for discipleship throughout their upbringing. Mm, I think that is so critical what you just said. I think that first step is where is this question coming from so that we have the ability to offer some empathy? It's just such a trust builder so that even when we aren't able to just bust out an answer that if we have to spend some time digging through it, that this is something that is growing our relationship together rather than just being kind of like this very transactional Q&A like sort of experience. Yeah, so good. Amy, I really appreciate all of the guidance that you've been able to give us in this conversation. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single parent to know, what would it be? I I would want a single parent to know that, and I, I know a lot of your guests have said this before, but that every parent doesn't parent alone. There is not a single parent on the face of earth that God has called to do it on their own and in their own strength. I parent with a spouse, but my strength doesn't come from my spouse. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come from my partner. My strength comes from God. My patience comes from the Lord. Um, My grace for my kids does not come from my own ability. It comes from the Lord. None of us parent in a silo. And so when you feel alone, ask the Lord, to remind you of his the promise of his presence. He has not given us every answer that, to every question that we may have. He has not solved um, every riddle in our lives. Our stories are still unfolding, but he has promised his presence in the midst of it. And I think asking the Lord to remind us and reveal to us all the ways that he has promised to be present with us 
I think is going to be the biggest encouragement to the married parent, the divorced parent, the single parent, the widowed parent. I think all of us need to remember that we have a partner who wants to raise disciples alongside us. And that partner is the Lord Almighty. What better thing could we ask for? That is right. Yes. (laughs) I so appreciate that, Amy. Amy, would you tell listeners about your resources and how they can follow you? Yeah. So um, I have sort of two different um, areas of my life that the Lord has called me to. The first is Tiny Theologians, which we've talked about. Tiny Theologians is a line of discipleship resources um, that teach theology, church history, and biblical literacy to kids ages two through 12. So you can follow us along on Tiny Theologians at Tiny Theologians or tinytheologians.com. And then you can follow my personal Bible teaching ministry at Amy Kate Gannett, Kate with a C, um, or at amygannett.com. Great. And I will have links available for listeners in the show notes to find those resources. I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun. If you enjoyed this conversation with Amy, I've got a couple of others you might like to check out. Have a listen to episode 107, This Is Not Working, Taking the Pressure Off Yourself to Give Your Children What They Really Need with Crystal Payne. You might also like episode 64, Get More from Reading Your Bible, Even When You're Short on Time with Brittany Ann. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.